the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday afternoon edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart, you need only to call us. 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got some stuff going on here tonight. I'm going to be teaching out of Second Kings chapter 8. I'm going to try to do the whole chapter if I can actually be a little bit more brief than I normally am. And um, um, just watch God's kindness toward people and how he's always working behind the scenes. It's one of the one of the highlights of chapter 8 in Second Kings. Um, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. She and the ladies are back from their pastor's wives retreat. We want to thank you for your prayers. And she will be here tomorrow, I'm sure, with her heart full um, for all of you. Well, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Um, our first question comes from Katie from our email inbox. Dear Pastor Ron, our Christian daughter and her husband joined an Orthodox church in North Austin where they married. Uh, or no, when they married. Three lovely children later, they seem very dedicated to it still. They were both raised in Bible churches. How concerned should we be about this? They have several icons on display in their home and have given saints middle names to their kids. Uh, I think they call it Antiochian Orthodox. Uh, thank you for all you do for San Antonio. Bless your heart, Katie. Thank you. And and I feel your pain here. Um, you know, in every church, and, and this something needs to be said, uh, in every church there are, are there is a remnant. Uh, the Orthodox Church certainly, certainly has some um, doctrinal issues, some theological problems, even heresies, uh, uh, penal substitutionary atonement, chief among them. But the reality is, is a lot of people in those churches don't really um, distinguish um, between the doctrinal the, the doctrinal issues because they're really not that into it. One of the things that I see as a problem in the Orthodox Church is that they get into a uh, a, a church where the focus is on emotions, um, worshiping the saints, having the icons. It feels very high churchish when, in fact, it's really low churchish. Um, but, but yes, I would be concerned about it. 
um, you know, uh, worshiping icons. And they will say we're venerating them, but it's worshiping icons. And I think that's bad. Here's the thing. I don't know how committed they were to their Bible churches. You know, that's uh, it's the word of God. And that's the problem we have to deal. They've got to make a choice. They've got to make a choice between what the Bible says and the, and the source of authority or the traditions of the Orthodox Church. Uh, if they were saved before they made the change, they still are. Um, but they certainly are getting ripped off. They're missing out on the fullness that God has for them. And uh, all you can do is keep praying for them. Um, and especially for your grandchildren. Um, because they're the ones who are simply going to be raised in that setting. Um, I can tell you, Katie, I, I share I share your pain because um, my son is married to a a beautiful, beautiful, lovely woman from from the former Yugoslavia. Uh, she's Serbian, and and she was raised in the Orthodox Church. Her parents, who came out here uh, before Yugoslavia fell apart. Uh, they're very um, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. And, um, you know, she's now born again. Um, my daughter-in-law is. But it's really hard because church to them is just about the things that they do. And um, um, they're things that she still doesn't really understand. So um, it's something to be concerned about. Um, pray for them. Um, keep setting an example for them, the joy you have, because here's what I can tell you, over the long run, worshiping saints and icons um, uh, is not going to solve their problems. It's a religious exercise, and religion, I've said this many times on this program, is, is I think the thing that God hates the most. So again, Katie, I'm sorry, um, but and I know you're praying for them. But it is something that you ought to be concerned about. Are they saved? If they were, they still are. Uh, there is a, a remnant in every religion, uh, every professing Christian religion. Uh, it's just not going to be um, a, a very fruitful life because the saints that they're praying to, the icons that they're worshiping, can't really do anything for them at all. I've met some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, Orthodox people that I'm sure are born again. Why they stay there, I can't figure it out. But the reality is that they belong to the Lord, and and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people with really bad doctrine who are, who are going to make their way to heaven in the end, Katie. Sorry for the pain that causes. I know it does. Hope that uh, comforts you a little bit. Here's a question from Lynette. Uh, Lynette, I like your questions about Revelation, but I'll be honest, before I even read this question, uh, I don't understand most of it. And this is the first time I've had that problem with one of your questions. So um, the, the part I do understand is, do you think God can find 144,000 virgin Jewish men on earth that have never told a lie? And and my answer to that part is yes. Uh, if, if God is preparing them for that, believe me, they're not going to have a problem. And and he has a plan for him, and God is able to, to, to uh, he is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he will be able to find uh, those Jewish men. Now, certainly they're not going to be sinless, but they're not going to be liars. They're going to be truth tellers, and that's literally what it means. It doesn't mean that they've never told a lie. And as far as being a virgin, yeah, that won't be a problem at all for the Lord. Now, here's the part I don't understand, so I'm just going to sort of talk about it from from um, what I think you might mean. Uh, she says, since Jesus' blood will wash away our sins, there will be many in heaven. Now, I'm not sure what she means by many. In Revelation 7, 2, the angel is ascending to heaven per the King James. The angel is ascending from the east. The ESV, the angel is ascending from the rising sun, which is the east. And the NIV, the angel is coming up from the east. So that's the part, Lynette, I don't really understand. So let me just spend a couple of minutes, maybe by accident, I'll sort of get to your question. Um, the Great Tribulation, of course, is going to be a dark and frightening time, and that's what's in view here. Um, as Revelation chapter 7 opens, the first series of judgments have been opened, and um, this chapter is a pause before the seventh seal is opened. Now, remember, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgment. So, 
uh, it's just a pause. And the pause is because God is bringing Israel, his treasured possession, uh, to center stage for the final act in history. You know, it's interesting to me, as you think about Israel, Lynette, it's a tiny little country which on the surface of things appears insignificant. And yet, since 1948, when Israel was miraculously regathered into its homeland, after nearly 2,000 years away, this little country has been the center of the world's focus. In every State Department, all over the world, even today, uh, every military leader, every world leader in business has their attention riveted on Israel. And the answer, the reason why, is because God has commanded it to be so. It's that simple. Israel wasn't chosen because they were the, the most powerful country, the richest country. Um, they're, they're an example in the Old Testament of a, of a New Testament principle, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly things of this world, and the despised things. And certainly that's Israel. And the things that are not. And that's Israel to nullify the things that are. Now, I, I've answered this part of in the previous question years, but uh, the four corners here is clearly symbolic. Uh, we know the earth does not have corners. What we're being told here is that these angels are holding back the wind. There's no breeze at all allowed to blow on the earth. Uh, no breeze at all. Now, I want you to think about what that means. Already a quarter of the population of the earth has been killed. That's more than a billion people. We're just getting started. That's just the the, the, the seal judgment. Um, it was also before the, the impossibly difficult earthquake um, that resulted from opening the sixth seal. So, um, so many people are dead. They're, they're carcass laying all over the earth. And the idea here with the wind ceasing means that there will be no more rain. Um, that, that would that would result in severe famine conditions that, that start in the third seal uh, being open would be multiplied many times over. Drinking water would be affected. Uh, disease would spread quickly. The pollution would be unbearable. I mean, think about it. You could chew the air from the dust and volcanic ash, and and the stench in the world would be just unbearable. Uh, earth at this point, is reeling from the wrath of the Lamb, but the worst by far is yet to come. And so when they open the rest of the seven seals, or I'm sorry, the seven trumpets begin, that's what's going to happen. So keep in mind that this is symbolic. And clearly all of the translations agree they're coming from the east, um, but this is symbolic, and that's all it is. It's not... Uh, to be taken literally. So, Lynette, I, I don't know if that got to the place you wanted to be uh, in the last part of your question, but um, if not, you can send us another question. But thank you for your interest in Revelation. I wish more people were interested in that. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got our friend Ruben from San Antonio on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, it's Ruben from Seguin. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ruben. Oh, okay. I've got San Antonio on here, but I know it's Seguin. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like to correct. I don't want to correct it. Please don't take that wrong. No, nope, it's okay. Wrong. Please, If I'm wrong, you correct me. <laughs> no, no, no. But really quick, uh, I, I I can't wait to go and uh, sit under you and, and hear your teaching because this little bit that you were talking about, Revelation, you know, I'm fascinated by it. And the way that you break it down is just... I love it, so I can't wait to, to, to go be a part of it one day soon when the Lord blesses me with the vehicle. So uh, I'm, I, can't, I can't wait. But I have two questions. Um, first, um, sometimes when I pray, uh, I cry, sometimes. And then sometimes I don't. And like today, I didn't. I, as I was praying and after I read the Word and... And I put my worship, because this is the way that I do it. I put a, a worship song on, and and I just pray. And I don't want to, to, you know, go off of emotions. You know, I want the Spirit of God to, to touch me and, and really, really touch me. But today it didn't happen. And for some reason I got really upset at myself because, Ruben, you didn't cry today. I mean, 
what's up you know so like i'm i'm, I'm my question is um when you when you pray i mean are you supposed to cry is it something that or is it just emotional and then the second question i have um growing up there were a couple of bands that that, that i listened to um uh when i work out because you know I, what i can on my arms uh, not my legs i like to listen to uh heavy rock music you know and there's just a few Christian bands that I listen to that because I listen to their lyrics, I listen to their words to make sure that, I mean, they're not, you know, mm-hmm. spewing something that's gonna that's gonna hurt me. So, anyways, my question is, there I found out there's a there's a band that I listen to who started this this movement, and uh, with a whole bunch of other bands, and there's a lot of former rock players who are supposedly giving their lives to Christ and, um, oh, what's the name of that guy? Cameron, Cameron, uh, Kurt Cameron. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he's promoting them on TBN. And when I saw this, I was like, wow. So my question is, <laughs> is it possible for a Christian, like a, a Christian rock band or a, a Christian band in general to play secular venues and minister the word of God secular venue when it's I would say about eighty percent non Christian. Yeah, R- Ruben. Uh, yeah, I appreciate those questions. Um, I'll, I'll answer them from a personal perspective as well. Uh, a couple of things. I know a couple of those guys. Brian Welch um, from Corn. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the Whosoever's are a group that that uh, has their uh, genesis out of Calvary Chapel in Golden Springs. Raw Reese's son Ryan, uh, and some of those guys. And and you know what? I, I I don't understand anything they do, but I can tell you, I've met those guys and they love the Lord. And and I think that more Christians uh, they, they would not say. And I think this is a fair assumption. They they would say they not say they're a Christian band. They're Christians who are in a band, and the difference there is important, and it gives them an opportunity everywhere they go to declare Jesus. And if I was them, and I know this is their heart, I would want the bulk of my audience to be unsaved. I would want the bulk of my audience to be unsaved because that's the people that you really need to share Jesus with. So there's no problem with that. Now, I hate that kind of music. I really do. But uh, th- that's just my personal taste. And music doesn't have to be, uh, quote-unquote, Christian music for a Christian to listen to or enjoy. Um, it- it's just a matter of of uh, the-, 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 the calling that God has on people's lives. I can tell you in our, uh, our-, our church, uh, we have a, a woman uh, who leads our worship. She's married to Pastor Elaine, who's our worship leader, worship pastor. And uh, she does secular venues uh, all over the country. Uh, she was a super big rock star in the Philippines. She she has a following uh, where, wherever we go. People say, "Oh, you're you're Jocelyn, you're Jocelyn," and um, um, she sings uh, at these venues. And and every minute of it is giving glory to God. And she sings sings some of her old songs, some of the songs that were big hits. Uh, back in the day, she was in in the '90s. One of the she was, I guess, the queen of dance music. Um, but but since it's gotten saved, and now she's using the gift that God has given her to tell other people about Jesus. And everywhere she goes, and she is particularly popular and and requested a lot in in these Philippine American uh, venues and and celebrations. And people flock to hear her, and they're hearing about Jesus. Uh, she was the first Filipino-American woman in the top 40 here in the United States. So, I mean, this this girl was a huge star, and people want to hear it. And every time Jesus gets the glory, and every time she delivers the gospel, and people get saved. And, uh, you know, she can talk to people that, that I wouldn't be able to talk to. So uh, I think going into the secular venues is nothing more than pure evangelism and believe me, uh, God is getting the glory. And again, although the whosoever's and, and Brian Welch and the other guys like that, um, uh, I mean, I, w- I couldn't listen to them for a minute without getting a headache. But believe me, those guys are serving the Lord. They do it 
uh, differently than I do. They've got a whole different perspective. Uh, but I think that's the beauty of the diversity in the body of Christ. So, um, yeah, don't feel bad about listening to secular music as long as it isn't demeaning to the Lord, as long as it's not filthy and vile like a lot of the rock music is. Uh, just don't worry at all about doing it. If you enjoy it and helps you work out, feel free. The The other question that you ask is, is really a, a significant question about crying when you pray. Um, emotions. Now, now, Ruben, I know you are a worship guy. You're a musician. You're very gifted. And you guys are just a little more emotional, a little more touchy-feely and creative than, than, than others of us. And so naturally, you're going to cry and you're going to be moved emotionally by things that don't move someone like me emotionally. And yet the truth is that we all, at some point or another, um, we're going to get to the place where our prayer is emotional. If you share the heart of God, you can't help but have your prayer emotional. Now, I think uh, I, I'm always I tell our church here all the time that I'm not a big fan of what I call goosebump Christianity. Uh, you know, people are always looking for God behind corners and they get goosebumps and and they get very emotional. I think we got to walk out our walk with Jesus. We got to do it in a very practical, logical way. But. Having said that, there's times when we're going to be very, very emotional. I'm going to talk about one of those times in our Bible study tonight, because in tonight's Bible study, Elisha, the prophet, now he's unlike Elijah. Elijah seemed to be detached from from people. Elisha is just the opposite. Elisha loves to be around people, and he's involved, and he's talking to uh, the man who's going to be the king of Syria. And uh, Elisha stares at him and his heart is broken. And through that broken heart, he begins to weep bitterly. Reuben, I've had an experience in my life uh, where where God gave me his broken heart for the people of San Antonio, Texas, uh, very unexpectedly. I was just praying. I was actually sitting in my office at home, looking out the window. And, um, and you know, when I can look out that window, I can say, Lord, that, those are the people out there that you love. And figuratively, they represent all of San Antonio. And, and, and it just was a normal, Lord, bless them and pour your spirit upon them. And I began to weep, Reuben, from a depth. And I'm not a super emotional guy, but I began to weep from a depth uh, that I didn't know existed in my heart. And the purpose of that was God was giving me his broken heart for the people. And when God's heart is broken, so too our hearts should be broken. So we, we, we get emotional about that because God, who is a person, is emotional about it. And, and we need to understand that Jesus himself wept. But in Jesus' ministry, you'll find he wept a couple of times and, and he was sad very often. But most of the time, his focus was just like ours needs to be on being obedient to his father. So uh, I would expect somebody who's creative like you are, Reuben, somebody who is, is uh, uh, so gifted by God at worship, uh, I, would, I would expect you to be way more emotional than somebody like me is. Uh, we just had a, an experience here in the church, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, where just an old song out of the past uh, came up into my heart. Um, and it was perfect for the Bible study. So I called Pastor Lane, and, and I almost never do this. You know, if I do it once a year, that's a lot. But I just said, hey, here's a song. I know you probably don't know it, but can you learn it for next Sunday? Because it would be perfect for the Bible study. And, and, of course, they went to work and rehearsing it, and they got to know it. But a song by Crystal Lewis, um, I don't know why you did what you did, but you did, is the, is the, the idea. And, and, and she sings, I'm glad you did because you did it for me, was the whole thing. And um, uh, I began weeping then. I don't like to do that on Sundays because i got to go up and talk. But I began weeping. And Reuben, for the entire week um, following that, um, that song was in my heart every single day. And that, that emotional experience occurred again and again. I like it when I get emotional because I just don't that often. Um, yeah, but, but I just like that's that was tears that were out of sheer gratitude. 
Um, I also, I like it, and this is going to sound strange, but I like it when I have emotion, tears that, that come from God's broken heart because it demonstrates to me that I share his heart. I haven't, my heart hasn't gotten cold or hard. So um, uh, just just make prayer the focus, talking to the Lord. And then, Reuben, if you cry, you cry. If you don't, you don't. But it doesn't matter one way or the other. Um, it's just it's just genuine. It's just the Spirit of God moving in your heart. So those are really, really good questions, Ruben, very, very much. Yeah, the song that I was referring to is Crystal Lewis, and it's called You Didn't Have to Do It. Um, it's very late 80s, early 90s, but that's when I got saved. And that song really meant a lot to me. Well, we're inside one minute uh, for this half of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left, and we'd love to have your calls. Um, as we sign off for this half of the program, um, emotion is a good thing. Just don't be controlled by your emotions uh, and give your heart an opportunity to, to, to be the same heart that Jesus has. And he sometimes was sad. Other times he was thrilled and happy. That's what our walk should look like. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from our mobile app, this one from Kirby. She says, Pastor Ron, do you think that Paul's letter to Philemon went along with the letter he wrote to the Colossians? Paul mentions Onesimus accompanying Tychicus in bringing news and the letter from Paul to the church at Colossae. So I was wondering if that would have been the, the, the case. Actually, Kirby, I don't think it was. I think that was a separate um, letter that was sent. However, we know that Philemon was the pastor, one of the pastors of the churches in uh, Colossae, uh, and, and, and certainly they all knew one another. Uh, but it seems to me, now I could be wrong here, but it seems to me that this is uh, just a completely separate occasion, sending a letter, and he would have sent it back with Onesimus, um, um, simply because Onesimus um, was was being asked by God to return to Colossae. It's a great story. I, I actually like to do uh, the, the teaching on the book of Philemon. But Onesimus was a runaway slave. Now, he wasn't a black man. This wasn't a racial case of, of slavery. This was simply uh, the way the world enslaves. When they ran away, they could be subject to death. They, they, they would suffer the death penalty if they were caught. Well, Onesimus ran away to Rome. And it was when Paul was in in, in jail in Rome that um, uh, uh, Onesimus got saved. And Onesimus became very helpful to Paul. And uh, at one particular point in his walk, the Lord said, okay, you got to go deal with your past. Well, his past was to run away from Philemon. So he goes to Paul and he says, I'm sorry, but I got to leave. The Lord is telling me and I may never see you again because I'm a runaway slave and this could cost me my life. But I just know God wants me to do it. And Paul would press him for a little bit of the details and and uh, um, he would say, well, I'm going back to my slave owner. And Paul might say something like, well, I know a lot of the people in college say, oh, what was his name? And he would say, well, his name is Philemon. And Paul would get a smile on his face because Philemon also received the gospel from Paul and the message that Paul delivered in Colossae. So he had that in coming in in common, and at that point, uh, Paul knew that everything would be fine. And the the, the little tiny book of Philemon, which I, I just call it a uh, an unread treasure, uh, is Paul uh, telling um, Philemon 
that, you know, I don't want to mention this, but you owe me your life, and now I need you to do something for me, and it would be to receive this man Onesimus back. Great, great, great letter. I like it. I've got a couple of studies on our website up that I did in Philemon, and, uh, you know, so many of us, we just read that book very quickly, sort of out of a sense of duty, but it is so rich. It is so rich for for those of us today. Forgiveness and courage and walking by faith and trusting God. Great, great, great Bible study in Philemon. Thank you for that question. Here is a question from Donovan. He says, when people live 900 plus years, how long did they stay physically young and vibrant? Well, well, Donovan, we don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting to me, and in, in, we know from... Uh, Enoch's um, life for for 65 years, um, and you know I'm I'm a little older than 65, but at 65 years of age, everything changed, and he walked with God then for the next 300 years of his life before he was taken away. Um, but but remember, uh, before the flood, people lived uh, for a long time. It's just God simply saying, "This was my intention." Long Adam lived more than 900 years. Uh, Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived, was 969 years, I think. Yeah, 969. And, um, you know, they would have had to stay healthy and physically vibrant for a very, very long time. Uh, I think in the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, um, the Bible says because of judgment, an infant, a man will be considered an infant if he dies before the age of 100. Um, so I, I think before the, the, the gene pool was infiltrated by sin, um, before the, 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 uh, the, the canopy above and below were let loose, um, it was intended that man would live forever. Uh, after the flood, those ages dropped off very quickly, but uh, in, a, in a pre-fallen world. Um, people lived and they would be strong and young and vibrant, having babies uh, many times into their hundreds of years old. So, um, Donovan, we don't really get any more information than that uh, about it, but but they were young and strong. Noah, we know, built an ark 120 years. It took him to build it. He had to be strong and vibrant to do that. Good question, Kirby. Here's an anonymous question. Is vanity a sin? I like to look nice, but I don't obsess over it. Um, if you just like to look nice, but you don't obsess over it, that's not vanity. I think vanity can be a sin, uh, just like pride can be a sin. But if this is just a matter, I want to look nice, um, I don't see anything sinful about it. Uh, if it begins to be an obsession, then I think you do. But But you know what? I think everybody should want to look nice. I think we should want to look nice. I think we should should smell nice. Uh, I think those are good things. So um, I, I don't see any problem at all uh, with wanting to look nice. And I would not categorize that as vanity. I would just say that's what we should do. You know, I get questions sometimes about women wearing makeup or women getting breast implants or, or uh, uh, facials and those kind of things. Hey, whatever the Lord gives you the freedom to do, do. Just make sure your motives are right. Good questions. Robbie asks, is it okay for Christians to take loans or use credit cards? The answer is yes. I know Romans says that that um, um, we should owe no one anything but love, the, the continuing obligation of love. But, but that's not a commentary on whether or not we should borrow or not. So, yes, it's okay for Christians to take loans and to use credit cards. But, Robbie, we've got to honor our obligations on time. So this is one of those things where, as a Christian, um, we've got to be responsible in the way we repay that debt. Now, one of the problems with debt, and I deal with this all the time over our years here, is that people get so deeply in debt that they're unable to answer the call of God in their lives. You know, uh, uh, there are times when God wants to pick somebody up out of the place they are and move them to someplace else for completely different work. And if you are indebted, especially if you're heavily in debt, that would not be possible and maintain your Christian witness. So I think being in debt is something that we Christians ought to take seriously. Um, But those who go overboard and say, no, it's a sin to be in debt, um, they don't understand at all 
uh, what Paul is saying when he's writing to the church at Rome. I just I, I just couldn't sleep earlier this week, and I was listening to uh, uh, one of the radio programs in town, and my program comes on overnight, and I was teaching that very passage about uh, oh no one. Um, the, the, except the continuing debt of love. And, and Pastor Ken, uh, who fills in for me here a lot, um, Pastor Ken just taught that same passage this past weekend. So, uh, you could get it, uh, at our website for Pastor Ken's study or mine. Uh, but these are good ones. Just remember, we don't want to be in debt to the point we can't answer the call of God. And we've always got to pay our debts whenever possible. So be responsible. We have to keep up our payment schedules. And um, you know, the older I get, Robbie, the more freedom there is in being debt-free. So hope that makes sense. If somebody's telling you that you can't do it, uh, ask them if they have a mortgage on their house. Well, yeah, well, you know, we can't afford that. Well, see, it doesn't matter how much it is. God is consistent. So there are things we have to borrow money for. You know, in our church, I've dealt with this. Uh, many times, uh, we we don't buy a building because God has said He doesn't want us to get a message to get a a mortgage. Uh, he said, uh, just for us. Now it's not for other churches, just for us. He wants the money that we get to go into ministry and not into a mortgage debt. Now we're still having to pay rent, but it wouldn't be as much as if we had to pay a mortgage. But that's just what He's told us, and yet. I've got dear friends, people that are serving God so faithfully, and they've got these beautiful buildings, and I get really jealous. I, I hope not in an ungodly way. But um, it's okay for them to get a mortgage. God didn't tell them that. So just we just be careful with the way you use credit. Thank you very much for that. Here's a question that was called into the studio live from Ron in Converse. Uh, what can the pastor tell me about the two witnesses that will come to the earth before Jesus returns. I can tell you a lot about them, Ron. Moses is going to be one of them, and Elijah is going to be the other. Uh, they're going to be active. Their ministry will take uh, will last for three and a half years. They will appear um, in Jerusalem by the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. We know that when people come to arrest them, and people will come to arrest them, remember, after the rapture of the church, uh, the Antichrist is going to be revealed, and they're going to be witnessing about Jesus, but also against the Antichrist, and the, 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 they're witnessing to Jews, um, and people are going to come after them. They're going to try to kill them, and they're not going to be able to for the first three and a half years. Uh, they're invincible, and uh, fire is going to come from their mouth. Elijah called fire down from heaven, and and um, um, they're they're going to destroy their enemies that come after them, and it won't be long before they're the ones who are being blamed for the lack of rain. They're being blamed for the problems in the world. Um, but uh, it's Moses and Elijah. Now remember the witnesses, and this is important. Um, they've got a, their their message is about Jesus. Moses represented the law. The law is about Jesus. Elijah represents the prophets. He was the prince of the prophets in Jewish thought. And um, and the prophets were all about Jesus as well. So the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets were about Jesus. And they're going to make one final testimony um, uh, in the end. So um, we know one of them for sure is Elijah because Jesus said, sure, for sure, I, Elijah will come. It's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then Moses isn't identified by name, but remember it was Moses and Elijah that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, to Jesus, to Peter, James, and John. And um, uh, again, because Elijah uh, represents the prophets, Moses, the law, the law is about Jesus, a schoolmaster, Galatians says, to lead us to Jesus. It is easy to uh, conclude that Moses will be the other of those witnesses. Uh, they're going to die at the three-and-a-half-year term. Uh, their bodies are going to be abused uh, for three days, and then on the third day they're going to have the breath of life come back in, and everybody's gonna, then going to take a big gulp and say, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. So that's what's going to happen. And, and, Ron, we won't see this because we will have been raptured by this point. Thank you for that question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Gordon 
He says, I'm single but want to be married, but God doesn't seem to hear my prayers. Gordon, you know, God doesn't trick us. Uh, The desire to be married is a desire that God has placed in your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here's the thing that you've got to do. You've got to trust God. You follow Jesus, and he'll walk you into that place for the woman that he's preparing for you. And until you are prepared for her, um, God won't bring her into your life. It's that simple. So it's not that he doesn't hear your prayers. He's preparing you and the woman that you're eventually going to meet. He's preparing you for that very moment. Now, are you doing some things? And here's what I, I, these are hard questions that need to be asked. But are you doing some things that that God doesn't approve of? Uh, I know men that, that look at pornography and say, well, well, you know, what am I supposed to do when when I'm single? Well, if if you're looking at pornography as a single man, God certainly can't trust you with a woman that he loves, at least not yet. So get to deal with those things. If there are things that you're, you're doing, you know he doesn't want you to do. Or if, you're, if he's asked you to do some things and you haven't done, he's preparing you. And, and most often, Gordon, it's as simple as Jesus right now needs to be way more important to you, way more central to your life than any potential wife. Until Jesus is first in your life, he can't really trust you with a woman that he loves. So consider this a challenge. He's preparing you. Are you ready? Can God trust you with somebody he loves right now? Are you forgiving people? Are you angry? Um, Are you blaming God because you're single? Are you one of those single people that is always singing the blues? I'm so lonely. Nobody knows the trouble. I mean, that kind of thing. Because God has got to be the source of your joy. And when Jesus is the source of your joy, believe me, you'll turn around one day and there shall be. There shall be. God always hears our prayers. Thank you for that question. Let's go to Victor on line one from San Antonio. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I wanted to ask you a question on um, and when, when the... Uh, the presence of the Lord departed from the from the first temple. Uh, there's nowhere where it shows that uh, it returned in the rest of the uh, like in the second temple. And so the, I'm just I'm just wondering the leadership, the religious leaders. They should have they they had to have known that there's something wrong. There's no mention that it even bothered them or anything. It's, I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah, Victor, I can. You're you're right. They didn't notice, but uh, you, you said they they sh- they had to notice something was wrong. Well, remember they, the the reason Ichabod that's the the, the glories departed. The reason that happened is because their hearts were hard, and and until um, God's spirit um, is is free to return, uh, and 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 the same thing is true in our lives. You know, when we're walking with Jesus then God's Spirit can fill us. But if we quench the Spirit, then we're, we're, we're shutting ourselves off from the presence of the Lord. Uh, the same thing is true of the temple. You remember when, when um, um, Moses um, uh, was crossing the, the, the Jordan River at flood stage, or getting ready to, Joshua crossed, the, the, um, the, 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 they had what I call the God in a box, the Ark of the Covenant, and while they were in present in in the in the company of the ark, uh, which symbolized the presence of God, there was no power. There was no power. The Philistines took it and they lost it, and and um, it was because their hearts were hard. And you know we like to think that they would know something is wrong, but the reality is, is prophet after prophet after prophet came and told them what was wrong, and they simply didn't care to hear what God had to say. And, you know, I guess we can apply that in our lives this way. Uh, If you're in rebellion against God, Victor, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. And the more you say no to him, the easier it is to say no the next time to him. And pretty soon you're walking around thinking you're okay and you don't even know that there's no power in your life. Paul says that people have the appearance of godliness, but without the power thereof. 
So that's always been true. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true uh, under the New Covenant with those of us who are filled with the power of God. I just did a Bible study not too long ago, Victor, uh, on the Spirit of God in in the church and Christian. And, And I said to our church, I said, you know, the only power on earth strong enough to to um, frustrate God is 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 sinful, willful, sinful man. Um, God has all this power living in us, the power that raised Christ from the dead, and yet none of that power is being manifest. And yet we're convincing ourselves, oh no, I've still got power, I still got gifts, I still speak in tongues, and and yet everybody else can see that there's no power coming from our lives. We ought to be able to see that something's wrong. But we don't, and that's what happens with an enemy who blinds us and a heart that gets so hard that we can't or refuse to hear from the Holy Spirit again. So that that answers your question, Victor. Thank you very, very much. Believe me, when the Millennial Temple is built, everybody will know that God is in the house. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's an anonymous question. This person says, I love Jesus, but there's still things I want to do that I know he doesn't approve of. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, repent. I mean, that's real simple, repent. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, here's the the place where we've got to get brutally honest with ourselves, anonymous. If you're doing things you know Jesus doesn't want you to do, how dare you say you love him? You don't love him enough to stop sinning. You don't love him enough to put his needs or his desires for you ahead of your own. And I don't know why this isn't obvious to us. It fits right into Victor's question. Um, You've got to decide who you love more. Do you love you more? Do you love your sin more? Or do you love Jesus more? And the answer is going to be demonstrated by the choices that you make. As brutal as this sounds, Anonymous, this is how I think about it. If I'm tempted to do something I know God doesn't want me to do, and and the Bible's clear, we know what the will of God is in in all these practical areas of our life. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't get drunk. Don't sin in your anger. All those other things. If I decide to do one of those things, before I make that decision, I've got to literally go through the process of saying, God, I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it. Thank you for saving me, Lord, but for right now you need to go because I'm going to do something that that you don't approve of. Now that's brutal, but that's honest. And you know, if you'll be that honest, I promise you the Holy Spirit will convict your heart so deeply that you will decide you don't want to do those things anymore. And then you'll really demonstrate that you love Jesus by repenting and purposing in your heart not to do those things anymore. You know, when people tell me they, they're trapped by a particular sin, I keep doing it, I know I shouldn't do it. Um, you know what? There's no other answer except repentance. Truth is, you just don't love Jesus as much as you love your sin. And a healthy Christian walk, we're always going to be tempted. We're always going to have those things that, that cause us difficulty. But here's the thing. They should be different things. I shouldn't be dealing with the same sin today that I was dealing with 10 years ago or, or 10 weeks ago, for that matter. When God does something in your heart, it's time to move on. Now, again, because there's an enemy, uh, because of the world we live in, there's always going to be temptation. And we're going to struggle with new things. But that's the thing. Make sure that your struggles are new things. Not the same old things. Because God has already guaranteed us victory over those old things. So anonymous, repent. Repent. Here's another anonymous question. This will be the last one I get to today. Uh, And this is a troubling one. Um, In my church, there have been some women get pregnant who were not married. They give baby showers for them, and I think it's wrong. Could I have your thoughts? Um, every church, including ours, has this issue. Uh, a woman um, lets her guard down. Um, she, she has sex with somebody, and she gets pregnant. They say, I only did it once. Why do I get pregnant? That's what happens when you, when you have sex. You, you, you get pregnant. That's the way we were created. Um, 
And what we look for here at our church, Anonymous, is when somebody is pregnant and they're not married, we look for a heart that's repentant. Um, if they're sorry, and, and we've had exact situations, some of the most wonderful young women ever and, and committed to the Lord, and they had that moment where they let their guard down and they slip because they belong to God. Their sin finds them out. They get pregnant, and they were genuinely repentant. And likewise, we've had those who got, well, look, God's blessed me with the baby, and, and, and whether or not we would give them a baby shower would depend on, on their their heart. Uh, if they're really repentant, of course we would. Uh, their sins are gone. Uh, they're purified from all unrighteousness if they genuinely repent. Uh, but the person who says, well, no, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did. And now God's blessed me with this baby. If they're not repentant, and I've had women look at me and say, well, look, I know this baby's going to be a blessing, so you can't make me feel bad about it. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to make you feel bad about the sin that created that baby. So I think once somebody is repentant, then we welcome them home to the family of God and, and, and we treat them like everybody else. And yes, we give them baby showers. But the woman who's not repentant at all, um, uh, that's somebody that we wouldn't want to give a baby shower to uh, because they haven't yet agreed with God that what they did was sin. So, good question. Thank you very, very much. Hey, I appreciate you tuning in. Remember, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Date Day edition of the program. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Kings chapter 8 here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You can watch it at calvarysa.com or you can join us live. We've always got room. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.